children can exit with Brother Will. The first time Jesus came to make this world his home for 33 years. And one day I believe he's coming again, not to make this his home for 33 years, but I believe the next time he comes, he's coming to take us back to our home where we will spend not 33 years, but we will spend all of eternity with the one who came and died and bled and has saved you and me. I hope you're saved today. I hope you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you've given your heart to him today. We sang that song this morning, O Little Town of Bethlehem. We started last week and we'll continue for the next couple of weeks after this to look at the story of Bethlehem told by the lives of some famous biblical characters that spent some time there. We know, of course, what the Gospel of Luke tells us. Don't turn there, but just listen. Listen to what the Gospel of Luke tells us that we often focus on this time of year. We're told about Bethlehem in the Gospel of Luke that Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth under Judea. Where did he go? He went to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Rachel. Last week we saw the story of Rachel, uh, so far as I know, and, and I could be uh, incorrect, but I, I'm, I'm fairly confident in this. As far as I know, Rachel is the first woman in the Bible who we know about who made a journey to Bethlehem while she was pregnant. What? You thought Mary was the first pregnant woman in the Bible to make a journey to Bethlehem? No, Mary was not. In fact, if you were with us last week, you saw that Rachel, the wife of Jacob, headed to Bethlehem, heavy with child, but her pregnancy ended in death. The child lived, Ben and I, or as his father would name him Benjamin, that child lived, but Rachel lost her life. Her journey of pregnancy to Bethlehem ended in tears, and it ended in bitterness, giving birth to the son that killed her. Of course, bitterness is not just a struggle for younger women that are pregnant with child. Bitterness does not just knock at the end of life. In fact, there is no question that there are many men and women, and even younger people here today, many who struggle a battle, the battle of bitterness. In fact, there are those in this room, and certainly there are those all around us in this world, who live for years with the reign of bitterness, bitter events in their life that threaten to turn their heart into a stone of bitterness. Many live years with the reins of bitterness, of hurt, of pain, showering upon them. We learned about another woman that made a journey to Bethlehem. And this woman knew all about bitterness. And it didn't come for her just at the end, like Rachel at the end of her life, dying in childbirth. This other woman who made a journey to Bethlehem, quite a bit of her life was filled with heartache and with disappointment. And there's a lot to learn from her story about why Jesus is so important. This woman's name is Naomi. 
In the book of Ruth, we learn the tragic tale, the tragic circumstances that left Naomi broken as she traveled to Bethlehem's little town. So turn with me today to Ruth chapter 1, and I want us to read the first chapter together, and I want us to see what it was that made Ruth so bitter. What is it that had happened in her life that had left her so broken? Go to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read together, all right? Ruth is there in the Old Testament. Let's look at this together in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now, we read before that in certain days that a guy named Joseph left with Mary to go to Bethlehem. Well, these are different days. This is uh, much earlier in the story of Israel when this event occurs. But listen very, very closely. Book of Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Uh, so this is going back beyond the kings of Israel, beyond the kings of Judah, even back beyond the rise of Saul and the rise of David and Solomon. This is going back deep into the history of the people. Uh, this is that period after uh, Joshua has led the people to victory and they've taken the promised land, but there is no monarchy. The people are ruled by Judges. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judea, went to sojourn, or he traveled, went to live in the country of Moab. Now, why did he do that? Well, verse 1 says, because there was a famine. And so he fled to Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. The name of his two sons was Malon and Chilion, uh, Ephrates of Bethlehem, Judea. And they came into the country of Moab and they continued there. So they, they lived there for a while. They set down roots to stay. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was uh, Orpha and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. Malon and Chilion died, also both of them. And the women, and the woman, woman Naomi, was left of her two sons and her husband. So she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab, she'd heard what? How the Lord had visited his people and had given them bread. The famine had been broken. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way, they headed out on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, so they apparently travel part of the journey, and somewhere along the journey she says to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to your mother's house. And the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grants you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. She says, you don't need to make this journey. You need to go back to Moab. You need to find new husbands. You need to start a new life. You're young. You don't, you don't need to come with me. And they said unto her, surely we will return with you unto thy people, unto your people. And Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go 
with me. Are there not, are there yet not, are there yet any more sons in my womb? I can't give you more sons that they may be your husbands. So turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I, if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? She said, even if I could have two more sons and they could marry you, are you really going to wait that long? For them to grow to become your husbands? No, nay, my daughters, for it grieve, grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. She feels like not only is the world against her, but that her God is against her as well. They lifted up their voice and they wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave un. To her, we're told in Genesis that a man and a woman are to marry and they are to cleave to one another. That that just speaks of uh, there's not to be a separation between that husband and wife. Well, Ruth, he, she, she is not going to leave. She's not going to be separated from her mother-in-law. And she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back under her people and under her gods. Return thou after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not, or beg me not, or tell me not to leave you. Or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If aught but death parts thee and me, you and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. She stopped. She didn't try to talk her out anymore. She saw Ruth's going to go with me. So they two went until they came where? Until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? Now remember, Bethlehem is a small town. It's not a large town. And so like many small towns, you can imagine uh, when the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, when the folks that have moved off have returned home, everybody knows about it. Of course, for Naomi, that probably just made things worse. Because life had not gotten better for her in Moab. Oh, it looked like at first that it would. They found a place to stay. They got wives. Everything seemed to go okay. And then it all fell apart. You can imagine going back home to a small town and your life has fallen apart. They said, is this Naomi? Verse 20, she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why then do you call me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. Say Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's read one more verse, first verse of chapter 2. And, or but, Naomi had a kinsman, a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. The time of the judges, that's what verse 1 says. In those days it was the time of the judges. 
That's the age in which Naomi lived. And it was a dark age. In many ways, it was a hard, hard age. The book of Judges ends with this conclusion in the last verse of the last chapter of the book of Judges. Brother Rick, show them this. Read this with me, what, uh, what it says there. The book of Judges ends this way. In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Over and over and over again, in the book of Judges, we read that God's people sin, and they rebel, and enemies rise up. They wreak havoc, and God's judgment is enacted over and over again in the book of Judges against his people for the sin of the nation. Like our own age, the age of Judges, it's a hard time uh, at various points to see what in the world is God doing? What is God up to? What's God up to in our nation right now in these very wicked and evil days? What is God up to? It sure looks as if dark times had fallen upon Israel. And that his kingdom would fail. All that Joshua had fought for, all that Moses had promised and hoped when he led them into the land, it looked like that it was all going to be undone. When you read Judges, it's just one failure, God gets them out of it, and then a bigger failure erupts, and it's just failure after failure after failure. Of course, when nations fail, it's not just the nation that falls. The truth is, it's the many, many people that make up a nation when this happens in today's text, we find a woman that is full of misery living in a day and age where it seems that there is little hope for the future. Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you've come to church today because you do believe that there is a Lord God and you do believe in Jesus, but you come today like Naomi and you come with pain and you come with bitterness and you come with hurt and you wonder to yourself, what in the world is God up to? It was because of famine that Naomi and her family had to leave home. They had to go. Now listen, when it says they had to leave home, they had to go to Moab, that means they had to go to a land of pagan gods. And that's a precarious situation for those under the Old Testament law of God because the Old Testament law of God had demanded of Israel that they separate from the pagan nations around them. But a famine in the land has put Naomi between a rock and a hard place. What are we to do? We are to be separate from these nations, but there is no food, and there is food in Moab. What are we to do? Can we be real honest? And this will help, this will help somebody struggling here today. So be honest. Just, just be honest. If you've ever found yourself between a rock and a hard place, say amen. You hear that today? So if you're here today and you say, man, I don't even know if I should be in this church. I mean, these people have it together. No. No, that was a loud chorus of testifying that we can at least identify on some level with Naomi. She's, her family, a rock in a hard place. They're stuck in a lawless land in the day of the judges with a famine going on. And we all know that when there is chaos in a country and there's no food to eat, who gets hurt? Who gets trampled? Who gets wronged? It's usually the people that are on the bottom. The everyday common person is the one that would probably suffer the most. So they leave. The situation gets even more precarious. Boys are going to be boys, and women are going to be women. 
and young boys are going to be young boys, and young women are going to be young women, and there comes a time God has made us to desire man to desire a woman and a woman to desire a man, and these boys are raised in this pagan land, and there probably aren't very many Jewish girls around for them to marry. And so they end up marrying Moabite women. That also puts them in a dicey situation with the law of God. And then after 10 years of childless marriage, the boys die. They join their already deceased father in death. And Naomi decides that it's time to go home. Ruth stays with Naomi, we see, while Oprah decides to find a new life back in Moab. Just as we learned from Rachel's life last week, we learned this week from the Word of God about God, and we learn about life from Naomi's story just as we did through Rachel. And we learn it through a journey to Bethlehem that's different than Rachel's, but a destination is the same. What might Mary, what might Mary, as she was carrying Jesus, traveling with her husband to Bethlehem, as she traveled, and as she no doubt, as a devout Jewish girl, thought about the other strong women in the history of Israel that had traveled to Bethlehem, what might Mary have learned, and what should we learn about the theology of Naomi, the story of Naomi? What can we learn from her? What, what might have Mary learned from God's word as she pondered the story of her descendants, of her people as she traveled to this small town of Bethlehem? Let me share you share with you three things that we learn from Naomi's story. You could call this a theology of Naomi. Number one, first thing that we learn from today's text that we need to remember at all times, but especially at this time of year when there's so much outward festivity, we also need to remember that there's a different inner reality for many people, and it is this. Number one, never forget the Bible is clear that God's people will experience pain. God's people experience pain. In his providence, God has allowed Naomi to experience pain. Psalms 34, 19 states this. Listen to this. Psalms 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now, I noticed I didn't give any amens on that. That's kind of hard to amen when God is telling you that if you're living for Him and you're living righteously, you better be prepared because there's going to be affliction in your life. We might ask ourselves today, this is a question I ask myself when I read this text, it's a question that Naomi seems to have already an answer. She's already assumed to this question, but the question is this. Well, if the righteous experience affliction, is Naomi's affliction because of her sin? Is this bitterness because of her choices that her family made? Or is it just because life is hard? I mean, which is it? Is it because God has chosen to afflict them this way, which is what she says? Or is it because this is just the way life is? Did her affliction become upon her because of her family's sin by going to foreign Moab, which seems to not jive with what the Bible had said. Did it come with marrying foreign wives, which seems to be not what the law would want? Now, here's the thing. Naomi answers that question, but if you read the rest of Ruth, and I encourage you to, the text itself leaves that question open from God's perspective. 
Naomi answers that. And Naomi says, look, God has turned against me. And when she says that, she means in a complete sense that God has completely turned against me. Whatever the case may be for why the affliction came, what we do know is that affliction is there and that Naomi was one of God's people and we see from her life that God will allow, will allow pain. He does not promise us immunity from pain when we choose to follow Jesus. So number one, God's people experience pain. Well, that raises another question then. Is the God we serve evil then? Did God want Naomi? Was it his desire ultimately for his people to be defined by bitterness, to live and die in bitterness? Does God want you to live and die in bitterness? Does he want you to die broken? and Does he want you to die bitter? If you feel broken today, you may ask yourself that question. Is that what God wants for me? You may, and by the way, there is nothing wrong whatsoever. When bitterness hits, finding yourself identifying with Naomi, I think that's one reason why she's given is because God knows that Naomi's struggle was not just hers. It might be yours as well. Can we be honest? We need to be honest for God. If you have ever been disappointed in life, say amen. Naomi's story shows us a second thing, though. If it shows us that God's people do experience pain, it also shows us another thing, and that is this, that God's purposes are good. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 again. She goes back home, and she thinks, there's nothing for me. She tells them, you need to return and go to Moab, because there's no way I can have a family. There's no way that you can have a family. You don't need to do this. But chapter 2, verse 1 tells us that Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Naomi recognized the bitterness and the pain and the heartache of life, but what she did not realize yet was that in God's good purposes, he had a family member, Boaz, ready to provide for Naomi's family's fortunes. God was moving to change, to alter, to continue the story of Naomi in a direction that she had not yet expected. God was ready to do what God does, which is move you and to move I from the situation that looks hopeless into a situation that is hopeful. That is the great story of the Bible. The great story of the Bible is we are hopeless because sin has shattered us. It has broken us. We are not right. We are fallen. In my Sunday school class today, Brother Ronnie was talking to us about depravity, about sin, about whether or not people even in the church really live their lives as if we are sinful beings that have disobeyed God. And uh, we were talking about this, and I, I told the class, I said, you know, I think one way that you find out whether people really believe in depravity, whether they really believe it, that not just somebody else is depraved, but that I'm depraved and my family's depraved, is watch how people react with their own children. That's a good way to tell whether or not they really believe that human beings are falling. And I told, I didn't tell them the details, but I just told them, I said, you know, Laura and I a couple weeks ago, really for the first time, somebody told us something that one of our kids 
had done that really made me angry. And, and there was a part of me, you know, that's like, not my kid, no way. But there's another part of me that said, yes, your kid, because the Bible says we are all depraved. And so what did Laura and I do? We sat down with our kids. And we started asking some questions. Now, this is how you can tell whether somebody lives in depravity, believes in depravity really or not. The person's like, well, I don't, I don't remember doing that. I don't remember doing that. A parent that doesn't believe in depravity, every time the kid says, I don't remember doing that, it's going to be like, oh, okay, well, my kid wouldn't do that. If you believe in depravity, you're going to pause and be like, well, you might have done it, and you're not telling me you did it. Amen. See, here's the thing. We are broken and we are fallen. And the Christmas story is not just for somebody else. It's for you and for me. And it's not just for somebody else's kid. It's for your kid. And the truth of the matter is that we experience pain because we live in a fallen world and there is sin out there. And sometimes we experience the consequences of our decisions. Sometimes we experience this because the whole world, the Bible says, has been cursed because of the fall. But the great news of the Bible is if we experience pain, there's also a greater purpose that God is up to that we don't always see right away. If you're glad for the unseen grace of God, say amen. It is there. And his own time, if you are faithful and if you continue in the journey, you will see the grace of God in a way that you can't see at other points in your life. It's interesting the journeys that people make, right? You get to the book of Hebrews, and that book stresses so much, don't stop the journey. Don't stop the walk. Don't stop moving forward in faith. Imagine if Naomi, in her own story, heading back to Bethlehem, going back to where she needed to be. She needed to be with God's people. She needed to be where his presence was in Israel. She doesn't know where else to go, and so she heads that way. Imagine if on the journey there she had just stopped and said, I'm not going any further. I'm just going to throw it all in. It's, it's, it's too painful. It's to Naomi's credit that as much as she recognized the pain in her life, she kept going back to where she knew she needed to be. Maybe today you say, I can't see fully what God wants from me or what he has prepared for me. I would just tell you today, if you can't see it all, just trust God for one step and just keep taking the next step in the right direction that the word of God would have you to go. In fact, she's going home to Bethlehem, back to her people, where she needs to be. The truth is, she's doing that while not knowing what's really waiting for her there. You remember what Joseph said when he was wronged by his brothers? Remember Joseph, he was sold into slavery and sold into slavery into Egypt, and, and the Bible tells the miraculous story how while Joseph was in slavery in Egypt, God maneuvered things. Joseph knew a lot of pain. But through that pain, God kept walking with Joseph and kept directing things, and you reach a point where Joseph is, has risen to a great position of prominence, and there's a famine, kind of like here, there's a famine in Israel, and his brothers show up. And his brothers show up, and they don't recognize at first it's Joseph, and they're begging for food because there's no food in Israel and Joseph does some things, and finally he reveals it, and it scares them to death because they had sold him into slavery, and now he's in a position of authority over them. Do you remember what the Bible says, Brother Rick? Show them what it says in Genesis, what, what, what it says uh, about Joseph and his brothers. Can we get it there, or did it freeze up? All right, I think it's froze. Listen to me. It says, he says there, he says, what you meant for evil, what you meant for evil against me, God meant it for 
good. What you meant for evil, what you meant for hurt, Joseph says, God meant for good. If you have been hurt in life, but you've come to a point that you realize that God can use the hurt of others to do something good, say amen. Can I tell you something? Like, I'm just going to pick on him because he's kind of got, he's, he's like me, he's got a big mouth so I can do this. So like William Haley over here, right? Let me tell you something about Brother William. Got a big mouth. You know, Brother William had some hurt from some church experiences. I don't even know if he was interested in going to a Free Will Baptist church at that point. He wasn't. You hear that? He wasn't. He was done Free Will Baptist. He was done. He was done with us. He'd been hurt by enough Free Will Baptist. He had no interest in that. And somehow, though, he, he I don't know, found out about me, found out about us somehow, and decided, well, I'm just going to go in. I'm done with Free Will Baptist. I, I don't want to be in that kind of church. But he decided, you know what, I'm going to show up. And he showed up and he came. And he kept coming, even though he was still hurt. I remember the first time we went out to eat, there was still hurt there and still a lot of hurt from things that occurred, a lot of pain. But he knew he ought to be in church somewhere. He knew he ought to be somewhere. And he's continued to come and come and come. And I can tell you he's been a blessing to me. He's been a blessing to others. And I can tell you, Brother William, Texted me a couple weeks ago, and there was a young person in our church that was really having some struggles. And Brother William went to that guy and said, hey, is it okay if we go out to eat? I'd like to take you out to eat, and I'd like to spend some time with you. And Brother William's been meeting with this young man, encouraging him. Here's the thing. Brother William's in our church, and he wound up here, and he'd been through some pain. He'd been through some hurt. Brother William's not the only person that's wound up in this church who you've brought pain, and you've brought baggage, and you've been hurt by the people of God can I tell you something? You hang in there because God's got something good for you. He's got something good. He's got somebody he wants you to minister to. He's got somebody he wants you to help. He's got somebody that he wants, wants you to be a conduit of his grace to them. And he wants somebody to also be a conduit of his grace to you. So God's people experience pain but if we keep being faithful, we also find that God's purposes are good. So we have two things here. We have the pain that we experience. But we also have a knowledge that the purposes of God, others mean it for evil, but God means it, means it for good. So I wonder as Mary traveled to Bethlehem and as she thought about what was her gonna life be like when she gave birth to the Christ child, as she made this long journey, I wonder if she thought of that other strong woman, Naomi, and about her heartbreaking story and her story of pain, but also a story of God's good purposes. See, I wonder when she was traveling to Bethlehem, I mean, I just wonder, did Mary think to herself, God, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant, God. It's not good for me to be making this long journey right now, but Joseph can't leave me here, and I've got to go with him. And I wondered if she ever thought, God, I mean, are you really good? Like, would you really do this to me if you're a good God, making me make this journey while I'm pregnant? And I wonder if she, I just wondered, did she think about Naomi's story and realize that God is often beyond good at times when we can't see it at all? And so today, if you experience pain, God's people do experience pain. And I want you to know today, not from my knowledge or my mouth, what the Word of God shows us, that God's purposes for you, for your family, for all of His people, His purposes are good. And then there's a third thing, a third wonderful thing that I think 
Naomi's story, the story of Ruth and Naomi, reveals to us there is true that God's people experience pain and God's purposes are good, but thirdly, it is also true that God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty, God's rule is surprising. What I mean by that, that God's sovereignty is surprising and that our King, King God, Father God, chooses to express his sovereignty, his rule, his reign. And apparently, if you read the Bible, it brings him great pleasure to show his sovereignty in the most unusual ways. And one way that God keeps throughout the Bible showing his sovereignty over and over and over again is when things look like it can't get any worse, God arrives or through others, arrives on the scene, and he arrives in a way that you would not have anticipated, you would not have expected, and it seems that God comes and expresses his sovereignty in in surprising ways, so his people have no option other than to say, that was God. That was God. It can't be anything else. There's no other explanation. There's no other rhyme. There's no other reason. So yes, God's people experience pain and God's purposes are good and God's sovereignty is surprising. You see, Naomi thought that there was no hope left for her, but God had not one, but two individuals that God was going to use to bless Naomi. First, there's Ruth. And look at, I mean, these are some of those powerful words in the Bible. Look back at Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Look at how God uses Ruth. Ruth allows herself to be used of God to express his sovereign rule over this situation. Look at verses 16 and 17. Now remember, the first 15 verses are there to let you know just how bad it is. It can't get any worse. And that's what makes Ruth's confession so surprising and so strong. What did Ruth say? She says, Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee. Don't make me leave you. Or to return from following after you. For whither you goest, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God will be my God. And where you diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me and more also. If aught but death part thee and me, you and me. I am going to go with you. When Ruth thought she had nobody left because her biological husband and her two sons were gone, God shows up in his sovereignty and says, oh, you think you're all alone? You're not alone. That reminds me of another time, another woman who must have felt all alone, must have felt completely vulnerable. You remember at the cross when Jesus is on the cross? And his mother is there, and her son is about to die. And it seems as if, will this woman be all alone as well? What does Jesus do? He looks down, he looks at John. He says, this is your mother. He says, this is yours. You see, the truth of the matter is, God does not desire to leave you all alone. God desires in his sovereignty to minister in your life in ways that you could never anticipate or expect. This is not the only woman where God will show up and will surprise us by placing someone in their life to be a blessing to them. By the way, church, Ruth allowed herself to be that blessing. I ask you today, are you allowing yourself to be a blessing to others? 
Naomi had painted a bleak picture. But Ruth surprisingly took Naomi's hand and said, I'll go with you. My friend, if you're broken and you're bitter today, watch out because God's got somebody somewhere that he is ready to minister in your life. No, they can't change all the pain. Ruth could not change that. Ruth could not change Naomi's situation. But what Ruth could do is Ruth could come and walk with her and let her know, you are not alone. But the story gets even better. And God's sovereignty is even better. It's not just Ruth. You see, Ruth can walk with Naomi, but Ruth cannot change her situation. Ruth cannot restore Naomi's life. She doesn't have the resources or the ability or the wealth to do it. She can walk with her, but she cannot change her life. And it is good news to know that God will send somebody to walk with you, but there's a greater news than just somebody walking with you. As the story goes on, there wasn't just one person that was going to bless Naomi. There was two, and the second person's name was Boaz, and he was in a situation to restore all of her fortunes. You see, as a church, we can walk with people, and we can stand with people, but we cannot restore them from sin. We cannot change what sin has done to the human heart. We cannot make people right. Now, in Naomi's case, who is it that can restore her future? Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Look at what it says. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And the rest of Ruth tells this amazing story of how Boaz is going to reverse Naomi's story. He's going to put Naomi in a completely different position by the end of the story. In fact, Boaz and Ruth are going to marry, and Ruth, a Moabitess, is going to become the grandmother of David. King David, you've heard of him? Oh, we sang the song today, didn't we, where it says, Bethlehem, David's town, and it says it there in the text that we read in Luke. Ruth, the Moabitess, is the grandmother of David. Naomi goes from nothing to becoming a member of the lineage of our Lord and Savior, the Messiah of Israel, because it is through David's line that Jesus will come. Ruth could not change Naomi's fortunes, but there was one named Boaz who could. And I would say to you today that if you are bitter and you are broken and you are lonely, I can walk with you, but I cannot change you. But there is a name greater than any name that can change you today, that can restore your fortune, restore your life, restore the brokenness that sin has done to you and make you whole. And that name is Jesus. Jesus. So God's sovereignty shows up through the kinsman redeemer Boaz. And I wonder as Mary traveled to Bethlehem, did she recognize from Naomi's story hundreds of years before that God's people experience pain, but God's purposes are good, and God's sovereignty seems to always be surprising. By the way, maybe you think again that this is just a neat story, but it has nothing to do with you. And you're wondering, where is the Redeemer in my life? I tell you again that Ruth became the grandmother of David. And David is the great-great-grandfather several times removed of Jesus' human lineage. And Jesus would be the Son of God given birth by Mary. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 of Jesus, You, 
confess your sin and you bow to Jesus like the children did when you bow your heart to Jesus, then you are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. My friend, Bethlehem has always been important in the story of God. And through Bethlehem, God shows us that there is one mightier than Ruth or Boaz, even mightier than David that would come. Because in the surprising sovereignty of the Christmas story, we learn that God has sent himself to save us from our sins. If you have found that your salvation is a surprising thing, say amen. You're in pain today and you're hurting today. God has a surprising story for you. It's the story of Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Maybe today you're wondering how you'll make it through this Christmas season. There are bills to pay. There's work to be done. There are children that you're just barely getting by at school. Maybe they're not getting by at all. Maybe there's friction in your household. Maybe your heart is bleak with sin. Maybe today, and I have a feeling there are several, maybe today for you the news that there's some, some help that our church is offering for those in pornography and sexual sin. Maybe in the deep recesses of your heart you know that is me. Maybe you've lost loved ones recently. Maybe you're just wandering life all alone, looking for a star to guide you. Sometimes I exhort and push and prod. Today I ask you to listen to the small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking in a mighty way to you. My friend, if you need to come and spend prayer with Jesus, you come. Listen, there's one already coming. You don't have to wait. Would you just come now? You say, I'm like Naomi. I need the Lord. I need what he can give. You come right now. You come. Lord, be with this time. Be with this service. Lord, be with this song. And Lord, would your Holy Spirit move. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, you 